Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. She's fresh off a U Sports National Championship as a coach. She also won one as a player where she was with Trinity Western. While at Trinity, she was also a four-time Canada West All-Star, a two-time All-Canadian. She went on to play for Team Canada and played five seasons overseas. Please welcome to the show, Alicia Perrin. Alicia, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. So tell me about this season because uh, I, I'm a bit of a culprit on this. I thought the Canada West playoff format was way too inclusive that like everybody but one team was going to get in. But then I was checking results. I was checking scores. Like it was pretty crazy. So just take me through your year coaching with Trinity. Like what was the regular season like? And then tell me about the, the playoff format where you guys basically had three straight weekends of, of madness. Yeah. So we were split into like provincial different provinces. So we were the BC only league. Um, and so we only competed against five universities. So it's TRU, UBC, UFC, us, UBCO. Is that five or was that six? Close enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we played each of those teams four times, so twice over. And then um, from there, honestly, I was even confused with the playoff format. <laughs> People were constantly asking me, who are you playing and when are you playing them? And I had to kind of check all the time but it was pretty wild because um when we played the teams in playoffs that was basically the first time we'd seen any of the other teams except for we had seen um calgary uh in preseason because we went out there for a tournament so other than that like it was we played our first weekend which was three matches and top two of that pool moved through to the second round of playoffs and then in that situation, there was just, we played two different teams and then top two went from that to final four. And with nationals, I think I heard on the live stream that only McGill was the really, the only big shuffle from like the nationals before COVID and then this one. So was that comforting for you and the other coaches and even some of the players who'd been there that like it was the same teams or because it was so, it feels so long ago that it was just like a brand new season for everybody and you had to do way more prep to figure out who's playing where. Right. I mean, for me, I was playing at that time that that nationals was happening. So <laughs> I wasn't really uh, invested in who was all in there, the the previous nationals, but it it was similar teams. So it was Mount Royal, Alberta and Trinity from the Can West League. And then, but there was definitely like a lot of prep work and scouting, especially since we hadn't seen any of those teams all year. Like nationals was a bit of a grind trying to find all of the the games on McGill who we played in the semifinal and that was a team we had never seen. And then, um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a haul for sure, but there were, there were very similar teams. Now, I think one of the the instant benefits of having a player of your caliber join a uh, coaching staff is just your experience. So were you able to speak up in meetings or talk to the athletes about like you competing at nationals and what it's like to prep for the day and kind of prepare for one game that's going to be like this, this is our whole draw, this is our whole event? Like, were you able to speak to the athletes or did Ryan kind of take the reins on that because he's so experienced too? I mean, we definitely bring different perspectives. He has a really good perspective as a coach and I have a really good perspective as a player. So there's definitely a lot of times where I would uh, chime in and not even just at nationals, but just like going through the playoff run and hey, it's a bit of a grind. Like you need to take care of yourselves in um, just the little things. Like what are you doing outside of the volleyball court? Because I, I know as a player that like I always played my best volleyball when I was kind of just like taking care of who I was instead of like the athlete part of myself. But yeah, I definitely, I, I'm pretty vocal in the team room and, and love putting it giving them my experience but um at the end of the day every team's different so they're my stories 
I can only share my, what we did with my team to win a championship. But at the end of the day, it's what what sticks for them. So what each each team has a different story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with you uh, kind of getting into the coaching world through the apprenticeship program, did you always know you wanted to be a coach and this was a great opportunity? Or, or what was the order? Like, did you sports announce this apprenticeship and then Ryan reached out to you? Like, how did you end up on staff? I mean, all through my career as a player for Ryan, I was really like had a really good relationship with him. And it was kind of always a, a joke that, oh, yeah, like I'll go play overseas and with the national team and then I'll come back and coach with you for a year. But it was kind of like a, I'll just do it like for one year as a token year. Kind of just, it was a, it was a bit of a joke, but still like in the back of my mind. And then um, when COVID hit and I was playing in Spain, it was kind of like I came back that whole summer of national team got canceled. Everything happened. And uh, I was going back to school to finish my last year my teaching degree and and Ryan forwarded me the apprenticeship uh, opportunity but I had already planned like been chatting with Ryan like yeah I'll come come and give back coach one year and like it'll be a sweet opportunity now was there anything that stood out to you uh going from a player to a coach that like either you gained a better perspective on it or it was like a little bit different like I imagine at nationals players are, are recovering and kind of fueling up where were you guys watching video and breaking stuff down like was there anything you saw behind the scenes that you're like oh I didn't really appreciate that from my coaches oh yeah like burning the midnight oil is a, is a big thing like I for me it's like I come back from the game and I'm like all right I'm gonna eat and then I'm gonna sleep so I can be like as best as I can ready for the game but to the coaches it's like hey game's over now the real work starts and uh a lot of times like we were just kind of hanging out waiting for games to be coded and because because it's just way quicker when everything's coded and ready to go so being on that side of things where i'm not a, a night owl like i i like my eight hours of sleep so because <laughs> uh with a coaching staff where ryan's obviously really experienced and they're they're just like night night owls they enjoy that stuff so yeah, doing all the coding and the game planning, that's definitely something I've never been a part of. Obviously, I've had scouting reports as a as an athlete that I've read and looked at, but I haven't really ever created one. So that's been a cool experience. Nice, nice. And I'm curious, as a coach, do you get as excited? Like one example that comes to mind is U-Sports. You play Calgary, and that's the host team, and there's fans there, and it's pretty bonkers there. Like, do you feel the nerves as a coach as well, or it's just different when you're between the lines as a player? I definitely felt the nerves. Uh, I wouldn't say because of like maybe a little bit of the home crowd, but because that quarterfinal match is such a nerve wracking match that I remember how it felt as a player of like, okay, you, you lose this game and it's your nationals is so devastating because now you're on the other side playing to fifth and it's like, okay, you don't really want to wake up to those matches because they're also the early games. So it's kind of like I'm going into that feeling of I've lost two quarterfinal matches in my career as a youth sports athlete. So I know what that feels like and uh, nervous on the sidelines because you don't really have any control over uh, what happens. <laughs> like when I was a player, it would be like if, if it's a close game and people are nervous, things aren't going well, I'll just go, okay, give me the ball and crush this. But if I'm on the sideline, I would just kind of, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do this try and keep everyone calm and and go from that route of being like a calm constant presence instead of anxious but, but yeah I was definitely a bit nervous and then when we uh went into the milk royal knowing that they're also going to have a home crowd I was just excited like oh man it'd be, this would be really fun to play right now 
<laughs> nice, nice. And how did you manage the day there? Because I noticed on the men's schedule, they kind of played an afternoon final. So it's not as much sitting around where what time did you guys wake up? Did you eat breakfast? Was there a team meeting? Like knowing all day you're playing in a national final, but it's not happening until 6 p.m. Like, I think I would just work myself into a frenzy. Like, how did you guys manage the squad? So an awesome tradition that we did while I was an athlete at Trinity and then we still continue to do is uh, we go to a lot of families' houses for dinner. So it kind of always works out that like at least one player from our team is either from Calgary or Edmonton, wherever we are. And we have three athletes from Calgary. Uh, So on the final, we actually had a couple of like one of our families made us dinner. So we we basically, like, we would wake up whenever, uh, we didn't take our pregame practice that day because the girls were pretty tired and we'd had a long call and it was, like, an earlier practice time. So we did that and then we'd watch video, a little bit of rehab, physio, what have you. And then um, we, we had the girls, like, a lot of girls had uh, family in town, so we just kind of left a good window of, like, hey, this is some family time. Feel free to walk for coffee. Like, we're, we're pretty... Uh, we know that family is important and that kind of recharges people emotionally. So we had the girls like go out and connect a little bit with family, come back, rest. And then uh, around three o'clock. So we always eat three hours before a game day. So we, we go to a family's house, eat, eat our pregame meal at three together. And then we just kind of had a little bit of the men's match on and watching the other game just to see how the timing's going. If we need to, when we're going to the gym and then, we go to the gym an uh, hour and a half before game time and we've got our routine pretty set. So it's kind of uh, a game day that we're pretty used to. Now, hopefully this isn't too behind the scenes and coach Hofer doesn't mind you sharing this, but uh, good job by Mount Royal. They, they made the finals, but maybe in some people's mind that that was an upset or a bit of a surprise. So how much advanced scouting are you guys doing going into the draw saying we know our quarter, maybe our semis 50, 50 here, and we're going to bank on maybe this team in the final, or are you honestly just kind of prepping a little bit on everybody and waiting to see how the draw unfolds? Um, we, once we found out our pool, like uh, of nationals, we did a little bit of watching um, the Eastern teams. Cause we obviously haven't seen them much at all. Um, but throughout the season, like uh, Brendan McTavish, she's also an assistant coach at Trinity. He does a lot of the heat mapping and video and stuff like that. So we uh, take a look at teams beforehand. And then, um, yeah, obviously, once once we find out between the two, like we're waiting to see which one it is. And Mount Royal is an awesome team. And we were really pumped to play them. Just they're so passionate. And, yeah, they play an awesome game. So. It was fun to scout against a team we hadn't played before, and obviously that makes it more work, but it's also a bit more interesting. For sure, for sure. Now, you touched on this earlier, so to take a step back to your national championship, and you mentioned every team is a little bit different and has like their own personality and their own story. Your squad, I remember watching because it was at U of T when you took it down. And I brought this up when we had uh, Ryan Hofer on the show. Just the box squad was so fun to watch where like they were so genuine and so invested in the game. And there were sellies like what was just the overall squad like that year that it seemed like whether you were a starter or you were never going to play like everybody was invested and ready to go on that team. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so that squad, we had just come off of losing a quarterfinal match to Dalhousie the season before. So, like I said, that quarterfinal match is just a doozy to lose. But we were all kind of stuck in that, like, okay, that really sucked. How are we going to, like, progress for the next year? And a big goal of ours that whole year was just, like, building into each other. And uh, whether you're first or second year, whatever, 
we'd have like an older and younger mentorship program. So seniors would kind of connect with younger players. And, um, and we honestly had like two of my best friends were not, not starters, but this, this was their fifth year. And it's like, you can either decide to kind of be a bit of a terrorist on your team, or you can decide to like, you know, dig in and uh, own your role. And we had some amazing, amazing senior athletes just kind of, into their role and they supported us so well and and obviously when first year athletes are around an environment where these are your seniors and they're like running different cheers for different plays and all that stuff it, it really creates something special and that was like an awesome squad and on, I feel like that has kind of passed down because even our our uh, box squad from this nationals are, were amazing too doing crazy selfies on the sideline so it's kind of a cool culture that I think has kind of stuck so with the culture piece, is there anything uh, that you can kind of manufacture and make sure it happens? Or does the best stuff happen organically? And why I bring that up is we had Kristen Monks on the show and she's talking about you guys are quoting Goonies and timeouts and you're watching on the bus. Like it's just a fun squad. And I'm sure that's something that maybe just clicked when you're sitting around watching a movie. But is there anything that's like kind of culture foundational with the Trinity Western program that like you felt it with your team and now you feel it with this squad, even though like there's some years in between? Right. I mean, Ryan does a really, really awesome job of like fostering a community and cultural environment that is based on so much more than sports. And I think when you take the time to really uh, invest in who you are as a person. So for instance, our, like we have a, a different theme each year and this, this year the theme was we belong. So like everyone belongs to this team and we belong on the podium, you know, like these things that it's just kind of a mantra that builds on throughout the year. And our, the team's just really good at taking it and owning it and uh, building into each other off the court. So I think those are kind of key foundations. There's different values that our team is kind of like always building into, but then each team kind of finds their own like catchphrase. For us, it was the Goonies because we just happened to watch that before our Canada West final. And then it was just like, we're down to zero and we're like, well, Goonies, let's go. You never say that. Like those little things that it's like, as a coach, you, you literally can't create that. So some of, some of those are just little moments that happen, but I think the group of people that are creating those moments are, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for sharing the behind the scenes here. So lots to cover. So we'll start to bounce around here a little bit because uh, I do want to get to the other parts of your career. But uh, right away, our listeners got to recognize your name and they got to recognize that Gord's a great player, too. So tell me what it's like growing up in your household. Like, were you guys always a volleyball family or what other sports were you guys playing growing up? Honestly, we're from a really small town, so we kind of did all sports. You know, like if you're in a small town, the only thing to keep yourself busy is sports. So. But I'm I'm the youngest of four, so I have an older sister, and then it was the two brothers, and then me. So I grew up taking along to all of their volleyball matches and baseball and basketball and everything under the sun. But definitely, like as volleyball started to stick, then um, that was the one that kind of took off. And uh, Gordon will probably get mad at me for sharing this story, but he used to have me in the basement just hitting volleyballs at me and don't play, don't play, like spiking them <laughs> at me and. And then we used to play a lot of balloon volleyball, just like in the living room, put out a clothes uh, or like a an old sheet and a balloon and just play one-on-one, just a bunch of silly things. But but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun growing up in that atmosphere. 
So for you, because you had older siblings, like, did you know what post-secondary volleyball was or even what the national team was and that was going to be a goal? Or like, when did that stuff really start to come together that you could play not only at university, but for Canada? I mean, a lot of that for sure was uh, seeing Jordan go ahead of me. Like when he first tried out for Team BC, like I had, obviously I had no idea that was a thing because I was quite young at that time. He's three years older than I am. But uh, once he played on the provincial team and then I kind of saw that, I was like, oh, well, like, like my parents were kind of like, well, I guess we'll just take you to the provincial team to try out too and see how that goes. And I went and made that. And then uh, same thing, Gordon made the national team. And then it was kind of like, oh, maybe, it, maybe I should try out. And, and I didn't really, I'd never heard of anyone playing professionally or in, yeah. And I wasn't. Once I was like grade nine and 10, I was starting to think like, oh, okay, I guess I could go play post-secondary. But being from a small town, like I wasn't exposed to a lot of university athletics until Gordon was at Thompson Rivers. And then we would go and watch a few of his matches here and there. So just for the listeners, uh, for Creston, BC, I think that's technically what your hometown is here. What is the closest club? Like were your parents driving you guys all over the place so you guys could all play sports? Like just tell me about the scene of how far you and your siblings are going to play like competitive sport. Yeah, so I played for the East Kidney Volleyball Club, which most people don't even know what KBC <laughs> is. Um, but my, like to put it into perspective, my grade 12 year, there was only seven of us on the team and I would have to drive an hour and a half to Cranbrook and so then I'm driving to Cranbrook. There was girls from Kimberly driving to Cranbrook. There was a girl from uh, the Nelson area driving over. Like it was, it was nuts. If we got like one practice together per week, like that was a, a good week. And then we actually ended up in my grad year. We ended up playing in the Alberta Premier League because it was easier to drive on flat ground than be going all over the summits. So yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, Big time, that's for sure. <laughs> Take me back to that year, though. You say you had seven people on your team. You're like one ankle injury away from being in a lot of trouble. So what was that squad like in terms of like, was there just a natural feeling that you needed everybody? Well, to be honest, the seventh player was like a libero that didn't come on the court. So it's usually <laughs> the six. You can't, you can't. Nobody can roll their ankle. And actually, it's funny you ask that because when I was in, we were in this Alberta Premier and there was uh, three three players, no, actually four players on this U18 Dinos club that we played for a bronze medal. And uh, uh, four of them were going to Trinity Western. So that was like both of the Monkses, Casey, you know, and Carly Hamilton. They were all going, all of us were signed to Trinity at this time. And my little EKVC club team beat them for a bronze medal and they were on the Dinos. And now I just never let them live that down. <laughs> yep. We had six players. We had one t-shirt and here comes all the Dinos. <laughs> <laughs> take me through just the behind the scenes of that because i'm sure there, there's some parents or some younger athletes listening where i think sometimes you feel pressure to go to a bigger club because you want to get recognized you want to get scouted like how did you build a relationship with the university coaches or, or get seen where you're playing for a, a smaller club that has you know the t-shirt jerseys like you talked about you have six players like did you ever feel pressure to leave to a different club or how did you get noticed um, I would say my biggest growth and success as an athlete came from just having the provincial team. Like, had I not had the provincial team, um, I don't think I would have gone anywhere because those summers of kind of leaving the Kootenays and going and playing with uh, people, one, it gave me like really good friends of people who lived in Vancouver and all over. And then also it 
like helped me get exposure to university uh, coaches. But had I not done the provincial team, like I don't think they would want to come on to UKBC. But because my name had gotten out there through provincial team and I had played with a few of the girls on Trinity that were on like influenced Ryan when he was like, oh, I need a middle and it's late. Who am I going to take? And someone's like, oh, well, we, I remember I played TBC with Leash Perrin. She played up, so she was pretty good. Like that was kind of a, a moment that helped me break through. But, but to answer that, like I, I find earlier and earlier kids are specializing and only playing for the best clubs. And to me, it blows my mind. Like if you're a tall, physical and athletic kid, I think you're still going to be really good at volleyball, even if you play basketball to high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, did anyone else recruit you very heavily? Like, obviously, your name got around and Trinity was there. But with like Gord at Thompson Rivers, did that coach uh, get a feeler for you? Like, obviously, like, I don't know if everybody's recruiting their their uh, the little sister of the good player on the men's team, right? But uh, was there any other schools you were considering? Thompson Rivers did try and recruit me. And then um, I just there was a call at like VIU college chain really was trying to recruit me. And then UBC wanted me to redshirt, and I really didn't want to redshirt a year. And then um, I'd gone on a visit down to Las Vegas because that's really close to Preston. Uh, it's like two and a half hours. Because um, I'd also done like this Canada Prospects thing where you went to like a premier tournament in the States to try and get exposure. So I had a lot of random messages from like Eastern American teams, but I, I really wanted to stay in Canada. So I was just kind of like, in limbo and I I hadn't even heard from Ryan yet until like January, February of my grade 12 year. And then I, he, one of his middles had left and he was just kind of like this little bit of a, Oh, I, I need a middle. Who, who does anyone know? And again, the girls that I played with the uh, provincial team were like, well, we should just have a team. And, and then when I went on the recruiting visit, I was like, Oh, this looks sweet. I'll come. I just committed on the spot. And then what were the early years like at Trinity? Because uh, I think, obviously, like revisionist history, you you took down a national championship, so it must have been good. But I, I have a feeling uh, my timing might be off, but uh, you kind of entered right after UBC was so dominant with uh, Shanice and Elizabeth Cordoni and a bunch of them. Like they had like their dynasty for a bunch of years there, but Trinity was always competitive. So what was it like your years like entering? Like I think... Jansen Van Dorn might have been there when you were kind of coming in and a few other vets. Like, was there a mood that when you got there, like the goal was to win a national championship or what was kind of the mood in the team room when you were entering as like an underclassman? Uh, yeah, the mood was, was that for sure. And I had never, like, I was not in the loop with um, university sports of what's expected. And I didn't watch them growing up, but UBC was still super dominant. So there was uh, Kyla Rich, who was on the team. Shanice was still on the team. Jen Hinza, who's on the national team. Uh, Lisa Barkley, all those. Uh, Liz had just graduated, but in my first year, they had like almost half of their starters were national team players. Um, and actually, like our, like we definitely were dreaming of a national championship, but like player for player, our team didn't really stack up against them. But we we were chasing that for because uh, and but we had like Lauren O'Reilly was uh, the setter in my first year, and then Sarah Jensen Doran. We had some awesome players too uh we ended up getting bronze in my first year um so that was pretty awesome and but for me as a first year like I was still really emotional I like obviously had played my heart and soul into the the year as much as anyone else and when we got bronze I was crying like I wanted gold but (laughs) it was the first medal that Trini had ever won for women's volleyball or women's volleyball so it was a big time season 
but yeah, there was definitely a, the goal was, was gold. Nice. And then you, you mentioned your brothers on the national team, but really the, the men moved to Gatineau pretty quickly. So the women were located in a different spot. So uh, obviously you can lean on him for experience, but I feel like because the men's and women's program were separated, it probably wasn't that similar, right? So did you end up going to an open tryout or how did you get into the national team stream as far as like, were you on any of the youth teams or did you go to the senior team tryouts right away? Yeah, my age group didn't really line up with uh, the youth teams or I just hadn't gone to any of the tryouts, but I went to, like, after my first year of university, I went to, like, this ID camp in Calgary and went there for this, like, tryout. And then from there, you got selected to go to the Team Canada tryouts. Um, and they were in Winnipeg at the time. So I went to the tryouts there in Winnipeg and then um, made the B team my first summer and then just worked my way up from there. So, yeah, it was after my first year. Uh, and we were in Winnipeg for three years. That I was there three or four summers that I was there and then it moved out to BC which I was really pumped about yeah I may have mixed up my timeline actually now I'm thinking about like the the great job that Shannon's doing and what kind of Tom built but I'm trying to think maybe you didn't have youth opportunities like there was a time where our women's national team really didn't have as many youth streams so maybe there just wasn't that opportunity for you so looking back now is that something maybe you're proud of of being part of our national team and kind of I don't want to say rebuild because I don't think the program was down to like a foundational layer but looking back when when you started with the national team to where it is now like is that just a point of pride for a lot of the alumni like you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really awesome to be seeing, like, next-gen teams and the net program, like, and especially being nearby, like, where for Trinity Wrestling, like, we got, last last year, there was, wasn't really a league, but we still got to play, like, some of the net girls, and, and it's just really cool to see them getting that opportunity to come out and, like, the top players in high school come and train at the Oval, and, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see it grow, and, um, yeah, it's been awesome. And how did you personally manage like going up each uh, step of the ladder here? And what I mean by that is you go from a smaller club to university and you're contributing and I'm sure that was a jump. And then you go from university to pro on our national team. Like how did you never get like overwhelmed or how, how long did it take you to get used to the next level you were always seem to be chasing? Good question. I mean, I've always been super competitive. So um, to have that jump, like I kind of always like crave that I guess like um wanting to be pushed and and when you're in that environment where you're kind of being outplayed by senior players and stuff then you start to realize okay wow like I'm not I'm not as good as I thought I was I need to work harder and let's go um put your nose to the grindstone and that competitive energy kind of like just made me want to be better but I remember coming in as like on the B team for the national team and seeing those uh, senior athletes and just, I had the chance to play with Sarah Pavin one summer too on the A team. We went to a Pan Am Cup and, and just seeing her intensity and like uh, her drive. I was like, okay, that's, that's what's needed. Like that is, that that's really cool to see. Uh, granted at the time I was a little bit terrified because <laughs> I was a university athlete and a little bit scared, but I, I remember being blown away by um, her resolve and determination and, Obviously, that's got her where she is today, the beach. So for you to go from U Sports to pro, I, I'm always curious, and I'm learning a lot just by doing the show. Uh, 
how did you find an agent? How did you get your first league? Like, how are you weighing the differences between like, oh, I have an offer from this club in this league and this league? Like, how did you kind of determine where you were going to go that first spot? Because I think you played uh, pro your first year out of university, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I got in contact with someone through Gord for an agent. And um, honestly, the whole process was, it's it's a tough process to go through. <laughs> it's like, you have no idea where you're going. You have no idea who the coach is. And those, obviously, those are things I learned along the way of playing pro. That first year, um, I kind of had a lot of, oh, but we're interested in you here or there. And uh, in hindsight, I might have chosen a different route because, like, once you realize what all the different leagues are like and um, different clubs, like, I learned to do a good betting process as I uh, continued to play overseas. Because, like, okay, you find out the club, if they're interested in you, okay, go scour their roster who's a player that played for them send them a message like hey what was the club like did you get paid what was the, what was the facility like um all those different things um that i think you just learn along the way but um my first season i went to greece and at the time i was like oh an island like this sounds so awesome and, and then reality hit pretty hard <laughs> so you mentioned is that just something that the volleyball community you guys trust each other that you can shoot somebody a message and they'll tell you what their club is like like did you have a network with other national team athletes or even if you saw like say an american who played at your club in greece you would shoot them a message as well oh yeah like because and i think all of them kind of there's like this general understanding that it's hard to know what you're walking into and if you don't send someone a message to get like a real picture of things, then you could be in a tough situation because like there could be a lot of clubs that don't pay or they're like, they've got a crazy coach that's been there for a few years and be like, Oh no, I wouldn't go there. Like, um, so once, once I looked there, if I found someone who typically I, I tried to ask a North American just because like similar cultures. So I would know, um, maybe what it was like for them to play university and then go there because the the conditions like aren't as good as university. Like I was spoiled in university and I think a lot of NCAA athletes are like way more spoiled than I was. So <laughs> I think it's a tough transition when you go overseas and sometimes you don't have proper physio, sometimes you don't have a proper weight room and gym and whatever. And is that something that gets used to? Like you mentioned the facilities, you mentioned the, the coaches are different. I, other athletes on the show talked about, they didn't even feel like they were getting coached up. They just felt like you just had to perform. Right. So with all these distractions, how did you kind of manage yourself? Because there's, there's some pretty long days if you're not happy, right? Because you're away from family, the time zone's different. Maybe you don't speak the same language as half your teammates. Like how did you find yourself navigating those situations? My first year overseas was really tough. Like I had a really tough coach. We trained six hours a day, six days a week, and it was an absolute grind. And for me, like, I kind of just had to, I had it in my head that, okay, I can't quit because I, this, like, I really want to keep pursuing this as a career. And um, I really want to play with the national team. And it was kind of that, like, I had a bigger thing that I was chasing than just this pro season. Um so for me, that was kind of like the biggest thing. But and then and then when you're overseas and you're alone and um, you just got to find little things that like fill your cup up. Like for me, I loved doing puzzles. So I do puzzles, listen to a podcast, or um, you just got to find those little things that like keep you going. 
um, reach out to people who are also playing pro and but um, that was like my first season and then um, you, as you go along you kind of learn more and more like what you need to do what you need to bring and how you can connect and, and keep going now you mentioned the when you're talking to people about other clubs, like just, just the threat of not getting paid. Like, is that something you had to seriously consider? Like we, we had Fred Winters on the show and he talked about how he, he would get a spreadsheet out and he's awarding points and he's like straight up. If the money's good enough, I was going to go play anywhere, but you do have to consider like, what's the apartment? Like who else are your teammates? Like, uh, are, are you close to other Canadians or, or buddies who you can hang out because maybe you don't get to go home for Christmas. Like there's a lot of things to consider. What were some of the things on your list when you're kind of weighing the difference that like that kind of factored in that you would weigh over another club? Club, even if it if the money was equal what were some other things you looked for uh quality of life so like was it a cool place to live or what like because i did one season in romania with kristen monks and that was a bit of a, a grind <laughs> i mean we had each other and she's one of my best friends so we had a riot anyways but um the actual place we were playing was not great the, the league was pretty good but we were just on a really bad team so it's kind of like you got to weigh the quality of life, like what level the play is. I didn't like I wanted to have a bit of a higher level um, coaching. Like after my first season with a really tough coach, like I was pretty adamant about vetting the coach. And um, and then, yeah, the weather too sometimes. Like for me, I started going like my third season, I went and played in Peru. And I absolutely loved that because I was in the summer in the winter so it's kind of skipping skipping the cold weather but i would say usually like how, how good is the team um this the situation and quality of life are kind of what the things that came down to it for me and did you ever have trouble just with the concept of, of you're really betting on yourself and you're playing one year at a time? Like, I think some people find it freeing that you can leave if you don't like it and they don't want long-term deals. But if you had the opportunity, would you prefer to sign somewhere for two years or you were happy with like the, the one and done and then you could really shop your options in the off season? I was kind of happy with the one and done because it like, it really takes a season to get to know if you like the situation and for me, I stayed at the same club two years in a row. Like when I played in Peru, um, we won the championship. I loved it. I loved the team. I, like I took Spanish in university, so I spoke Spanish. Like I could communicate with my teammates. And I, so then I re-signed with the club. But I, I think it's kind of nice to do the one and then if you want to add on. Because even right off the bat for them, if you're a strange, stranger player, like you, they haven't seen you play, um, you might not get as much money either as opposed to like I came in for one year and then we won a championship it went well it's like if I had already signed something before knowing them they might not have wanted to you know either pay as much or give you a bit a better situation if you've already committed to them but um, since I had known the club and they were trying to get me to come back for a second year then they're willing to, to uh, try and convince me more I guess and how did you manage just the length of the season and i think this is getting spotlighted a little bit where there's there's gonna be some players on our men's team who don't return like obviously gord might not consider like i think uh, shawan might not return to the national team because it, it feels like for those guys they're, they're playing year round and eventually your body or maybe you want to have a social life in the summer like for you to leave university and go play pro and then go back to our national team like did did you ever get sick of volleyball did it ever not like feel like it was joy anymore and it was like now your job like i think that's one thing that gets overlooked that if you play for 
for your national federation any play club like it's literally year round right and you might get a week to stay at home maybe that's exaggerating but like how, how did you manage the calendar of like just going to the gym it felt like every day and your body's probably just sore year round uh it's tough like it's not for the pain of heart that's for sure for me a big thing that changed was when it moved to richmond because i like my husband's family is from Coquitlam and like in the Vancouver area. So it's like once it got switched to there, you could like I personally could feel a bit more like I had a life, like I would see friends or family on the weekend. But it is really difficult because you sacrifice so much. Like you sacrifice so much time with your family. It, like my family obviously still was in the Kootenays, so that was tough to connect with them and even Gordon and I like we we hardly saw each other because we're just like two chicks in the night time with <laughs> our our year-round cycle but I think it's just knowing like when you're bought in on a team with a group of people like like-minded people that are chasing the same dream like there's something powerful about that so for me it was definitely way more gratifying to play for the national team than to play pro because I was with like amazing teammates and people uh that that wanted the same things as I did. And obviously I played with that team for quite a few years. So some of my best friends were on that team. So it's where you're giving up time with your real family. You're still part of another family that's trying to do something cool. So I think that's like, if you, if you really dig into the team culture and, and find meaning in that and what you're doing and that you are trying to pursue excellence in everything that you do, then it's, it's definitely worthwhile. And I think just understanding that this isn't going to be your life all the time. Like, this is just a, a phase. And there will be a time when you're not uh, showing up to the gym on your birthday and that's all you have to do. You know? <laughs> but it's it's definitely a sacrifice. And But I would say it was, it was worth it. Nice. No, great to hear. And and not to glance over because you did play for a few national team coaches, but it, it's no secret on the show. I'm a big fan of Tom Black and everything he's accomplished and what Shan's doing now. And uh, I'm curious, right when Tom showed up, how energizing was it? Because like the, the team was established in Richmond and you knew that was going to be home. And then now you've got a, a coach and a coaching staff who's all about like teaching and really like uh, just kind of making it a fun experience to go to the gym and everything's new. And there's a youth movement where I think there's more and more programs being added. Like what was that season like for you guys in terms of like having the national team kind of grow, but also like a, a focus on competing and getting better, but also, like I said, like learning and having fun when you're at the gym. I would say like as a national team athlete, uh, those were the best two years or a year and a half was with Tom Black and Ben Josephson and Jeff. Like, we had just an unreal staff and support staff. And as a female athlete in Canada, that's the most supportive I've ever felt. And I think a, a big part of that was just their commitment to, like, helping us learn and grow. And it wasn't just, like, in practice. It's like, okay, we're going to watch video. We're going to sit down and, like, actually help oh, your blocking's not doing well. This, These are things that we're going to do to fix that. And it was just like very, there was a lot more technical feedback and ways to help people change like maybe their shortcomings in the game. And I think that that's just such a big thing that like some sometimes as a coach, you're like, hey, well, you, you got to change this. And then it's like, hey, I'll be like, cool. How am I going to do that? Like if, if people don't give you tangible ways to fix something, <laughs> you like okay well I know what I can't do how are you gonna help me do it but yeah that that summer was so fun and it was like my biggest regret is just that we didn't get like the full quad 
the work with that staff and do that whole thing leading up to 2020 Olympic qualifications and everything. Because had that been the case, like I think maybe things could have gone differently. But yeah, I'm a, I was a huge fan of that whole staff. Now, with you being a Trinity athlete, I'm sure you're familiar seeing Benjo in the hallway or before or after practices when the teams are kind of shifting. But uh, one thing I thought was funny about his coaching style, and Jen Cross brought this up, that, yeah, there's, like, specific footwork, and we're talking about the press and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like, he's like, if you block the ball, Jen, I don't really care how you got there. So how freeing was that where, yeah, you're going to get technical feedback, and in his mind there might be an optimal way to do it, but, like, also there's freedom for you to figure it out, and you might have a different step close than Jen Cross did, but it's all good as long as, you know, we block the ball. Yeah, I think that's what I love so much about Benjo is he knows that each athlete is so different. Like, he he was very open and honest and, like, talks about, okay, well, like, just talking about Alicia Ogums, okay, you're, you're not 6'4", like, about me. Like, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do the same thing she does because she's way bigger. Like, she's going to block the ball way bigger than you are. But he, if that's the case, okay, well, like, let's make you faster. Here's a split step, like, at the end of the day, just go be an athlete. And I think that's such an awesome green thing. Like you said, like it's, if your goal is to just go be an athlete, um, okay, let's, let's figure those little pieces out that make me the, the athlete I am instead of like, here's a mold you have to fit into it. So yeah, I, I love that. And he helped me a ton with my blocking that summer and just a lot of video. And he's, he's so fun. He just like always has fun themes and just a good way to, connect like uh catchphrases to the game like yeah it was a lot of fun and believe me we're we're a volleyball show i i've kind of stayed away from talking covid and all the other stuff but i do have to know you're, you're overseas in spain you're having a big year like it you're obviously hopefully enjoying volleyball because the national team's so energized and then you get shut down like what was it like being overseas at that time and just kind of the, the world stop like that that happened to be your last year right but i'm curious as it's happening and you're watching the news like what was it like being a foreigner in spain being like what is happening right now it was pretty wild because like yeah, there had kind of been whispers of it, but I didn't really know much was going on. And then my team, we flew uh, for an away trip. And one of my fellow teammates, Vicky Savoie, she I was on the same team with her, but she, had, she was a bit sick. And we didn't really think anything of it. But then all of a sudden, like, someone had said, oh, yeah, well, so-and-so saw a physio that had COVID. And, and all of a sudden, we she's like getting tested. Like we come back from lunch, and there's this lady in this full like hazmat suit, and I'm like, "Whoa, is this Resident Evil? Like, what is going on? Like, it was so creepy." And uh, anyway, she didn't have COVID, but like that was the first moment of like, "Whoa, okay, this seems like serious," and like it's here. And so we played that game, and then we went back to the. I was I was playing on the Canary Islands in Tenerife. So we go back to the island and there was supposed to be our last league game before playoffs. And okay, well, you know, we're going to have like 50% fans. And then it's like, okay, we're not going to have any fans. And then once the NBA got canceled, they're like, okay, your season's over, you're fun home. And I'm like, okay, see you later. <laughs> like, it was, and it was pretty crazy because, um, because I was on an island uh, uh, where a lot of people come for vacation, they had like a bunch of cruise ships that people are kind of just getting dumped off of because you can't be on a sick during COVID. So they were just like letting off all of these tourists to go and get flights out of the airport. And and so like when I was driving up to the airport to leave, there's like just people all over outside of the airport. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not going to be good. I've never seen this many people waiting outside. 
And then I get into the airport. There's this guy who looked like he was on a business trip. Had like a business suit on that was, or shirt that's unbuttoned. These board shorts. He's not wearing shoes and he's got a beard. And I was just like, oh boy, <laughs> what is happening? It was absolute chaos. And just like one of those things was like, okay, I can't wait to get home. Man, what what an ending! And then obviously, was the timing just right for you to start a career and move into some other things? Like uh, obviously, going back overseas when COVID was at its peak, like that probably didn't make a lot of sense. So, what was the timing just natural for you to pursue other passions? Um, yeah, like it had kind of always been a conversation with my husband and I that I would try to like play until the twenty twenty Olympics and um, probably wouldn't stick for another quad. And once I was pretty disappointed that the NL got canceled because that would have been a really cool opportunity to have as a last experience with the national team. But yeah, other than that, it was kind of okay. Like this is the time. This is the timing to just go back to school for a year. Nothing fun's happening, anyways. Um, so I might as well just get finish my teaching degree, um, and then that's when I started coaching. Yeah, just it, it felt like the right time for me, and I wasn't really itching to go to Europe during COVID. For sure. For sure. Well, you've told some awesome stories already. One thing we've made a, a tradition on the show is we, we've heard about your career and you've touched on a little bit playing pro that uh, some funnier, unique stuff is going to happen to volleyball players as much as we call it professional. It's just a, it's a great community of people. So I was hoping you could tell us one more story just to give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah. Well, I guess one that sticks out since I talked a little bit about my season in Greece was uh, my dad had just come to visit and we go back to my apartment and go to turn on the lights and the lights don't turn on. And I'm like, okay, cool. Go, go to the landlord, knock on his door. Yeah. Like my lights aren't on. He's like, yeah, I know. I turned them off because the club isn't paying your bills. So I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, go to try and have like, couldn't have a shower because the hot water doesn't come on. And I'm like, okay, cool. So then the next day they make me move all of my stuff out because the club doesn't want to pay the bill. So I move all my stuff to this new hotel across like a, the way, cleaned out my whole apartment. People are like, yeah, you got to get out. And then as soon as I get there, it's been like two days. Then the club's like, oh, we took things out. Now they're a sponsor. You have to move back. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It was like the last month or whatever of the season. And I completely just ruined any kind of vibe I had of a home, you know? <laughs> Oh man. Well, thanks so much for sharing the behind the scenes. It's awesome to hear that, uh, you know, you're a youth sports national champion as a coach and a player. And I think playing pro volleyball is still a very cool occupation, but you got to tolerate some stuff while you're over there. It's not the same as maybe being an NHL athlete or in another league, but thank you so much for, for sharing the behind the scenes and everything. I'm, I'm sure we'll have to get you back on the show. Cause we, we bounced around a lot. I feel like there's more stories to tell. So we'll have to get you back on soon. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me.